Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Scootybarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Scootybarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles to John chapter 3. Uh, excuse me, John chapter 13, the Gospel of John, the New Testament. Um, I want to say thank you to Saga for preaching for me last week. So the last weekend was a wild weekend for me. It was interesting because it didn't turn out anything like it was supposed to. Um, I was asked by Bill Glass behind the walls to be part of their outreach in uh, Northern California in Crescent City at this place called Pelican Bay Correctional Facility. I didn't do any research on the place because I figured, you know, prison is a prison is a prison. Well, it wasn't until I talked to the director and uh, he was giving me some of the details about what was going on and he said, now this is a level four prison, which means only the bad guys go here. Now, you know, bad guys go to prison, but the bad, bad, bad guys go here. Like this is for the gang members who are the shot callers. Like, like it, it's, it's full of the worst of the worst. And I'm sitting there going, okay, yes. I mean, I was confused. I was, I was conflicted because, you know, I always, I always like adventure. So I'm thinking this ought to be fun. But then I started thinking, man, I am from L.A., Lower Alabama, not L.A., South California, which means I know nothing about what a gang member listens to. About 70% of the prison would, were, are, are Latino gang members. And I'm going, uh, Sweet Home Alabama is probably not going to cut it. See, my job was to be one of the program guests, which meant I was supposed to entertain them and begin the gospel conversation. And then another guy, his name is Andy, would come in. He's a strong man. He would tell a story about how God uh, saved him and, and what God did in his life. And then we would turn it over to the teammates. And these are about 50 people who have come from all over the place. And they would gather the prisoners in small groups and actually walk through the gospel. That's what Bill Glass does. So my job was to entertain them, and I'm thinking, I don't think this is going to work. And so I went on this very long, deep dive into what does a gang member listen to? That's a great Google search, by the way. Apparently nobody knows, because I got no help at all. So I went to Facebook. Hey, what do gang members listen to? And I got everything from Jesus paid it all to live in La Vida Loca. And I'm like, you know, okay. For the sake of the cause, I'll do it. I started learning living la vida loca. I want you to picture that. Yeah, really. And, and so, you know, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And then I was like, well, I guess I could learn some Santana. Um, and and I, I learned Uptown Funk. And, and like, okay, just don't judge me here. But remember, my job was to be in front of these prisoners and get them to come and listen so that we could hand it off. And it progressively went to the gospel. I spent hours, and you can ask my wife. She was putting in earphones going, would you please shut up? There's no loca here at all. There's no Vita here. It is loca. It's not Vita, right? Because loca's crazy, Vita's life. And, and I spent so much time on this. And the day before we were supposed to leave, I get a call. Hey, um, one of the yards is shut down, so we're going to have to adjust a little bit because there was a stabbing there yesterday. Oh, okay, that's good news. That's great. And the reason it was shut down was because they couldn't find the shank. And until they found the shank, they couldn't open it up. 
No problem. Friday morning. So it was supposed to be an up Friday and back Saturday trip. So I knew it was going to be long, hard, and fast and furious, but it was supposed to be that. Get on a plane at like 5 a.m. Did you know Pensacola flies out at 5 a.m.? That's ridiculous, by the way. I'm, I'm thinking the pilot. Anyways, so get on a plane at 5 a.m. I fly from here to Houston, Houston to San Francisco, San Francisco to Medford, Oregon, which is about two and a half hours from where we're supposed to go. Get to Medford, Oregon, and the guy that's supposed to pick us up, it was me and three other guys, he's like, well, I got good news and bad news. The bad news is there's a forest fire that is ravaging the forest, and it's blocked our way to Crescent City. The badder news is that we have to go a six-hour detour up and around to get to where we're going. Of course, by this time, it's 3.30 in the afternoon. I'm thinking, okay, that's not the end of the world. At least we'll get there in time to get a good night's sleep. But as we're driving, I'm Googling a way that's quicker because, you know, there's always a better way. And I found a way that's a little bit, it'll cut two hours off, but it happened to be through the forest. And when I say through the forest, I mean there wasn't even pavement on some of these roads. There was no edge. If you went off of it, you were not going to stop for a thousand feet. I actually did, I'm not joking, I prayed, Lord, if we go over this thing, just make it fast on me. I don't want to limp through this. I just, just make it, make it happen. I knew I was in trouble when the driver turned around and said, don't worry, guys, I drove go-karts as a kid. I am not lying about that. Because we're in the back holding on for dear life because we are taking these curves like it is Mario Andretti at the wheel. Really neat guy, and he did a good job, but we were legit scared. About 30, it could about two hours off, by the way. He was good. We got about 30 minutes from the facility that we were supposed to be at the next morning, and we get a call. It's canceled. Why? Well, it's canceled because the wildfires affected the power lines that, have, that give power to the city, so the entire city is powerless. And COVID broke out in the prison, and there's also threats of more gang violence, so you can't come in. And I'm sitting here saying to myself, so let me get this straight. I got up at 3 o'clock this morning to catch a 5 o'clock flight after practicing for two weeks songs that I never even heard of before to wind up in a place all the way across the, the, the country so that I could sleep in a hotel with no power and have no food and can't even charge my phone. And then it came to my heart. See, God was already working on this message. He said, Jeff, you don't understand now what I'm doing. But later you will understand. That's the message today. Because in our life, we have things like that that happen that just don't make sense. We can't, we can't fit them into our plan. And we say, God, what are you doing? Why won't you stop this? Or why won't you fix this? Or why won't you do something? And the Lord's voice to you and to me, echoing as loud as we could possibly hear it, you don't understand now what I'm doing. But later, you'll understand. And when I heard that in my heart, 30 minutes out, my attitude changed. It really wasn't bad, because it was, it, but, but, it, but I, I went from confusion to peace. And the rest of the night, everything was an adventure. Hey, let's go find food. Well, gas station's got power. Let's go eat there. That's a great first date, by the way. If you really want to impress a girl, take her to a gas station. They got really great food. 
the, the, the night we were walking through the halls with our flashlight, not even backup power, walking through with a flashlight. We'd jump into bed, open the window so it would be cool. The next morning, get on the van and come back to the hotel. And, then, and it, it capped it all off because Sunday morning when I was coming back, I had to get up before the shuttle was going to run. And so I literally had a mile to get to the airport. Instead of waiting for a taxi, I had my guitar in one hand, my bag in another. And I walked an hour, a mile in the dark with not a soul in sight. And as I walked, I sang and I laughed. There was a joy that is inexplainable. Here's why. Listen, don't miss this. When you know that God is God. It don't matter what's happening because you trust that it makes sense to him and maybe one day it will make sense to you. John chapter 13. Jesus is about to do the most ridiculous thing a king could ever do. He's about to blow the disciples' mind and he is about to do something that they really won't understand until farther on down in the journey. But what I want you to see are some of the some of the truths in this short text. In John chapter 13, verse 1, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were, not in, or who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, really, just these two verses are enough for us to spend a whole lot of time on. Just consider this. Jesus' love for his disciples was not dependent upon their reciprocation of love back to him. He never said, I'll love you if. He never said, I'll love you when. He said, and he acted on, I love you because I love you. You know, that is the goal of every believer. The goal of you, for you and the goal for me is to be mature and complete. Mature and complete looks like pure love for one another. Now, let me show it to you in James chapter 1. Now, you're not going to like how you get to be mature and complete, by the way. That's the real awful part. I mean, it can be awful. James chapter 1 tells us this. It says, consider it pure joy. Consider it great joy, as CSB says. So it's not just joy, but it's great joy. It's exceeding joy. It's wonderful joy. It's joy of joy. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience trials. See, I told you you wouldn't like the way to get there. Listen, here's the truth. You cannot become mature and complete without great trials. He never, God never makes a man of God until he breaks the man out of the man and builds him into the man that God has called him to be. Did that make any sense? It made perfect sense in my head. What he does is he, he takes everything that you think you are dependent on. He thinks everything that you think you are, everything you think you have, and he totally wipes it away. And he does that through trials and through struggles. It's not that God is being a mean God. He's actually the opposite. He's actually loving you like a good father would do. He's saying, I'm going to allow you to endure this. I'm going to allow you to, 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 to have this suffering in your life because through this suffering, 
You will understand perseverance. You will understand endurance. And out of the endurance, you will become mature and complete. And you will lack nothing. You will get to the point where it doesn't matter what's going on in the world because you know that God is truly in control. Now listen, the thing about this is we have this mindset that thinks that you start here and your growth chart goes like this. That ain't the way it works, right? That's not the way it works. Reality is you start here and, and you go like this and, 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 and you're kind of, it's almost schizophrenic. But here's what I've discovered in my own life. The, the gaps get less dramatic. And even though it's up and down, there is a general trend towards maturity and towards completeness. Complete and mature is God's goal for you. Complete and mature means that you have a supernatural, God-given, God-births love, one for another and for God. When you can love somebody, regardless of how they love you back, you know that you are close to mature and complete. Amen? By the way, if you really look at the whole way God designed this thing, he gives us children to teach us this. I mean, with children, I don't ever remember saying, I'm just not sure I love them anymore. Now, I do remember my wife saying, now I know why animals eat their young, but, <laughs> but, and, and I, I mean, it's right, so... And I, and I do remember being frustrated, and I do remember not doing everything right, but I, but I also never remember saying, you know, I just don't love them anymore. I'm not sure that I even want them to be my child. No matter what they did, they are birthed from me. They have my DNA, and so, of course, I will love them. They may break my heart, but I will always love them. And I just had Whitney Houston singing. Go ahead and sing it. And I will always love Right, okay. Sorry. Just forget I did that. You're still stuck on living Levita Coloca. So, yeah, okay. He gives us children and he gives us marriage. See, you don't have to learn to love your children. That is automatic. You have to learn to love your spouse. And some of us have a harder job than others, right? I'm looking at you, Leanne. The, the thing is, all of this human life that God gives us is preparation for what eternity is going to be like. He gives us these trials to bring us to maturity and completeness. Because when we're in God's presence, we will be absolutely mature and complete and not lacking anything. But his goal is that we get there now. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not possible. It, it, it's not probable that we're going to be completely mature and, and, and completely um, um, complete. But... But Jesus isn't going to ask us to do something that he's not going to either provide for us, both provide for us to do it and call us to actually do it, right? So as long as we wrestle in the flesh, we'll always struggle on this. But the purpose is what I'm saying is you shouldn't be the same today as you were a year ago. And you shouldn't be the same in five years as you are today. You should look back and see a general trajectory of maturity and completeness in your life and you lack less and less and less. Why? Because you're no longer controlled by you, but you're controlled by the Spirit of God. Because you're giving yourself 
every single day, you're yielding yourself to what does God want? What pleases God? How do I love God? How do I love my neighbors myself? And in that process and through those struggles and trials, you are enduring to the point of completeness and maturity. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are on your way. Be patient because it takes time. Now, let me, let me, let's go. I don't, I don't want to miss the rest of this text. So, having loved them as his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It was an enduring kind of love. Listen, Jesus was mature and complete. So, that tells us what, we're, what we look like as mature and complete believers is Jesus. Now, here's why that's important because Jesus said, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. Colossians tells us that He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So if we see Jesus, we know exactly what the Father is like. So whatever Jesus did, that's what God does, right? And so Jesus is the model of what complete and mature looks like. As He is preparing to teach His disciples this incredible lesson... I want you to note the stark contrast of what is expected and what is actually done. Now, Jesus, we know, is king of kings. He's the son of God. And Jesus proclaimed that he was these things. And so his disciples were expecting a savior. They were expecting a man of power. They were expecting someone who would break down the the control of Rome and he was going to build a kingdom. And so in their mind, they had an earthly king mentality. And what Jesus did was he got up, he took off his outer clothes and, and he put the Uh, 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 a towel around himself. He poured water into a basin. This is verse 5. And he began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel tied uh, around him. So in their minds, they're greatly confused because they're thinking to themselves, I thought we were with the Savior. I didn't think we were with the slave. I thought we were with a man of power. I didn't think we were with a man of weakness. And one by one, Jesus, on his knees, took the feet of the disciples and he began to wash them. Poured water out of the basin and then he took the rag and then he would take the towel and dry them off. And I'm just imagining, just knowing Jesus, the way the scripture defines him, he's probably, as he's he's holding each man's feet, he's probably praying for them. And I imagine that with Thomas, he says, Lord, Lord, himself, Father, Father, Thomas is going to really struggle with doubt. Father, I pray that you would give him grace for himself. Help him not beat himself up because he doubted so much. Father, when he finally sees that I am who I say I am. I know he's going to go into India and bring the gospel to an entire people. So God, strengthen him and hold him. And he goes next over to John. Father, you know how much I love this man. You know how deeply he's going to be hurt when I'm on the cross. And God, you know the depth of tears that will come out of his soul. Would you give him hope? Would you remind him of the words that I said, that I must die, 
but I also will rise again. Then he comes to Judas. Father, would you just let Judas know I love him? Would you let him know how my heart longs for him to enter into repentance? That was important because the text tells us in verse 3 and 4 that the devil had already entered into Judas' heart for Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus would have known this. Don't you think that Jesus, being, a, being, being a, a man of discernment, would have understood? I mean, he certainly knew Jesus was, Jesus was the one because at the end of this verse, or at the end of these verses, he says, but not all of you are clean. So he knew this. And yet he still held Judas' feet in his hands and he still chose to wipe them of the dirt. I was talking with a pastor this week. He was, he was struggling with uh, uh, some things. And, and, and he's just going through a hard time in his church. I said, look, it may not be right what they're doing, but Jesus didn't call you to love them when it was right. He called you to love them because they are his sheep and you are their shepherd. And then I remember, this, you know, God always has the right passage at the right time. He said, you know, I said, you know, if Jesus can wash Judas' feet, there's nobody that we are exempt from. Nobody. And then he came to Peter. Peter being Peter, oops, he says this. He says, Lord, verse 6, are you going to wash my feet? Let me translate that for you. Lord, there ain't no way you're touching my feet. You are not. Now, I think Peter was so conflicted in his mind because he was thinking to himself, if you wash my feet, how can you be who you say you are? How can you really be this powerful if you're acting like a slave? Servants don't, or servants wash feet. Kings do not. If I give him my life to follow what? A servant? And Jesus apparently knew what was going on inside of Peter's heart because his words told the story of his heart. And, P and Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you don't understand this right now. You don't understand what I'm doing. But later, later you will understand. The difference between understanding and not understanding often is the mature and complete. Now, I'm not going to say that if you're mature and incomplete, you'll understand everything. But I'm saying it's, it's that gap between mature and complete and not yet mature and not yet complete where the misunderstanding is for most of us. Now, let me show you what mature and complete looks like in terms of not just, not just we know Jesus is and we know that love is the foundation of that. But let me tell you the attitude or the, the, the mindset of somebody who's mature and complete. Go back up to verse um, 3, 13.3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. That one little verse or gives us an understanding of, of Jesus' mindset. When I say mindset, it's, 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 it was his strength. It's what he knew. He knew 
that God had given him all authority. So he knew who he was. There was no confusion about Jesus and who he was. He was not having a crisis of identity. He knew that God had blessed him with all authority. And then it says that he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. I would say to you that the mature and complete believer knows who they are, they know where they came from, and they know where they're going. Let me tell you why this is so important. If you have these three things, that means you are secure. Because the one who doesn't know who they are is always looking for validation from everybody else to give them their their worth or to give them their validation or to tell them this is who you are. Jesus didn't ask the disciples, hey, can you tell me how valuable I am? Didn't I do a good job feeding the 5,000 plus the women and children? Wasn't that really cool when I, heard the le- when I healed the leopard? Hey, did you see the blind man? He didn't need them to validate who he was because he knew that God had given him that power and that authority. Listen, don't miss this. So many of us in this room are looking for everybody else to validate our existence. Our worth is dependent upon whether or not somebody likes us or doesn't like us. And because of that, we go back and forth from from feeling to feeling, not recognizing that other people's opinion of you mean nothing. Nothing. Listen, don't get me wrong. I want you to like me. I mean, who doesn't want to be liked? But if you don't like me, that's okay. As long as I'm in the right place with Jesus. Does that make sense? That's not an egotistical statement. That's a Jesus statement. He says, look, I know what God has given me. I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. So even though I want us to have a really good relationship, you don't define who I am and I don't define who you are. If I define who you are, I've got way too much control in your life. And guess what? I'm fallible. I might like you for selfish reasons, or I might dislike you for selfish reasons. But so many of us, we go back and forth. What do you think of me? And we don't ever say it that way. But preachers are the worst of it, right? Or people, people who, are, who are in front of people in leadership positions, they're always wondering, oh, what did they think? Or how did that sound? Or what did this? Listen, there is a security that comes from knowing that God has given you your value. And when God gives you your value, nobody can take it away. Because that is an eternal value. That is an infinite value. He knew who he was. He knew where he was from. He knew that in the beginning was the Word. John chapter 1. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He knew that he spoke the world into existence. And I, and I just, again, my brain kind of works funny like this, but I sometimes wonder if, if there wasn't some laughter you know, you know, with, with, with the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I, I wonder if they were like, hey, hey, watch this, watch this. You know, just because, you know, they said, let there be light, right? And there was light. And I wonder if the, the mention of an L, light came. Y'all don't see the humor in that, apparently. But in my mind, I'm just wondering, uh, you know, he didn't have to say the full phrase. He could have thought it. He could have snapped it. 
course, we know that the Word, because the Word made flesh, and it all ties together. But all of this power that Jesus had, all of this strength that he had, he knew who he was, he knew where he was from, before the foundations of the world were set, Jesus existed eternally. And he also knew where he was going. He knew that he was about to go to a cross. He knew that his disciples were about to all desert him. He knew he was going to look out into the crowd and see his mother crying and broken because her son is being crucified on a criminal's cross. He knew that his dead, lifeless body would be put into a borrowed tomb. And yet he knew that that tomb would bust open because he would rise from the dead. And he also knew that he would sit at the right hand of God and have authority and power in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And that everybody on the planet must call in his name if they're to be saved. He knew these things. Because he knew these things, it didn't really matter if the disciples were griping. It didn't really matter if things weren't going his way. It didn't really matter if his plans didn't work out. Why? Because he saw the bigger picture. Listen, don't miss this. That's what it means to be mature and complete. Immature or not, let's say it nicely, not yet mature and not yet complete looks like Peter. What I thought was supposed to happen is not happening. I don't know what to do with this. You can't wash my feet. And then Jesus said, you don't understand what I'm doing unless I wash your feet. You can't be clean. And then, G- and then Peter goes the opposite. He goes, well, then don't just wash my feet. Wash my head. Wash my hands. Wash my armpits. Wash every bit of me. I mean, think about how fast we go from one to another, right? That's not a mature and complete person. That's a person who's needing validation from other sources but God himself. And Jesus so patiently, kindly says, look, you're already clean. What I'm doing is to show you who I am. And it's to show you who you're supposed to be. So just, I want to say that Jesus invented the chill pill statement. Peter, just take a chill pill. Slow your roll. Calm yourself down, right? Stay calm. He started to wash their feet. And then he says, for he, uh, there's someone who is not clean because he knew that there was one who would betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. The disciples left that room not fully understanding what was going on, not fully mature and complete, not fully understanding the purpose of God, the mystery of God, the will of God. But here's the, here's the thing we shouldn't miss. But they were in process. In progress. They were halfway through the journey. Because the disciples that sat in that room that night were not the same disciples that were in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came on everybody in tongues of fire and they proclaimed the gospel and then were dispersed throughout the whole earth. They were different. Listen, it wasn't that far away those two times. Wasn't that far away from each other. But God took this moment, he set it into motion, and then he said, if you'll just endure, if you'll just be patient, if you'll keep your eyes fixed on me, at some point it will all make sense. And listen, when it makes sense, I just this is what I think. When it makes sense, that's when your life goes on overdrive. 
That's when you get it to the point where you go, you know what? Now, now I will do all that God has called me to do because it finally makes sense. Does that make sense? Or not yet? So here's my encouragement to you. Some of y'all are struggling with some stuff. Actually, all of us are struggling with some stuff. And you may be asking God, God, I just, I just don't get it. I thought I was doing the right thing, and now it seems like I'm not. And if, if I am doing the right thing, you certainly aren't blessing it. I want you to hear the voice of God. Right now, you don't understand what I'm doing. Later, you'll understand. Some of y'all might be just, just wrestling with, with, with the slowness. God, I just, I'm doing everything I can do, and it just, it, it's snail's pace. And I want you to hear the voice of God. Right now, you don't understand what I'm doing. Trust me, later, later you will understand. And I want you to fix your eyes upon the author and the perfecter of your faith. I want you to recognize that Jesus is all that he ever said he was. And I want you to just allow God to form your heart, because don't forget this. God is far more interested in building you than he is interested in building a ministry out of you. God never skips the man for the ministry. Never does. This is in, in particularly fun in my life because I'm, I'm processing a ton of information and a ton of things right now and and I got to tell you, when I look backwards, I see the hand of God. In your life, if you look backwards, you will see the hand of God. You shouldn't keep looking backwards. Those are musicians getting up, by the way, just in case. They're not mad. It, if you look backwards, it doesn't, you shouldn't be frustrated. You should be hopeful and joyful because every single Thing that happens to you, God is at work. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Amen? Will you pray with me? If you're in this place today and you've not yet trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, I want to invite you to do that. The Bible says it's by grace you're saved through faith, not of your works. So call out to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. But God, I realize that I need you. And so I, I turn my life over to you and I ask you to save me. That's called repentance. God, save me and make me a child. If you'll call out to Jesus, the Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's instantaneous. This morning, if you're wrestling with, with the why or any, you know, if you're just, if this message has hit you in the right spot, I want you just to open up your hands and say, God, I, I, I give you control. Actually, Lord, I, I want to stop wrestling you for control. And I'm going to ask you, God, just help me to be patient and help me to trust you.
Father, I thank you for your church. Father, for the, for the ones that are sitting in this room who, who long to be mature and complete. Lord, hopefully that's all of us. But for, for those who are, who are searching for you, God, I pray that you would give them endurance to hold on so that you will finish the work. Father, I pray that you would give us great hope, great courage, and great peace in Jesus' name.